Hello, and welcome to Distracted Propaganda. We are your hosts. My name is Alan. My name is Lucas. And we are going to take you guys on a journey that we like to call a tangential conversation, uh, which I believe we are extremely adept at. Yeah, not much else, but we can talk for hours about just random shit. (laughs) (laughs) And um, the reason why we created this podcast, uh, Distracted Propaganda, um, one was a half-hearted joke uh, or in jest. Yeah, we were like joking about this for a week. Yeah, in one week span, we are now sitting um, hundreds, if not thousands of miles away from each other. I'm in the West Coast right now. Yeah, and I'm in the Midwest. I'm going to stay in the Midwest. And I'll be bouncing around place to place. But yeah, we are going to be talking about an assortment of things. Um, Personally, what I wanted for this podcast was to, well, one, see if anyone was doing the same thing we were, not necessarily the podcasting part, but the tangential conversation part, Um, because we do, Lucas and I do go on immense tangents. We were trying to play Rocket League. I think this really started off with us trying to play Rocket League and then going into a 30-minute long conversation only to realize we were both waiting for each other on the Rocket League menu. And then we started playing. But Yeah, that... it was when my my Switch was about to die, <laughs> I think. And I was just like, dude, I've been having, like, I've been looking at the home screen or whatever for, I think, 45 minutes. And we've been talking about some random, like, philosophical thing. I forgot what it was. I just remember having a moment where I'm like, this started fully charged. <laughs> <laughs> and we haven't played a single game. I was like, I'm waiting for you to join. And Lucas was like, I'm waiting for you. Uh, and yeah. Then, yeah, so that spiraled into this. And it did get us curious as to, or it got me curious as to see, you know, what kind of nonsensical conversations are people having? And do people want to hear? I'm mean, nonsensical, I think, is a bit ghoulish for me to say. But yeah, it's not necessarily nonsensical. It's just that we start with, well, we'll start with something and then we'll end in a completely different place. And I mean, for me, the thing that I wanted to really try out is to see if people are okay with that. Um, Because I don't intend on any one episode being completely just one thing. Like a lot of podcasts are a deep dive into one particular subject. And that's awesome. Those people do a lot of work, though, to make it that. And I think for us, we we just tend to be more generalist in the way we think. You know, like things can connect to other thoughts kind of tangentially. And so I just don't really intend on anything being just one subject all the way through. I just want to start somewhere and see where it goes and see if people are okay with that. 
Yeah, I don't know about you, episode. though. Yeah, and no two episodes are going to be the same by any means, uh, besides the tangential part. But we are, we we do well when we start talking about one thing, and then going off and stretching it into another topic that very much, I believe, has you know a relation to the original topic at hand. We won't try to get too distracted. Um, I'll make it happen. Uh, we'll see. Okay. <laughs> um, but yeah. And the reason I think we kind of came to this weirdly synaptic and like very instantaneous venture of recording ourselves talking to one another. Um, one, it's a pretty big juxtaposition from where we started off as. Uh, when we first met each other. Um, and I remember when, because we were in the first, we were in the same uh, art lecture, art history lecture, our freshman year, I believe, or probably even more deeper into college than that. Um, no, I think it, it, I think it was sophomore year. Yeah, it was, it was probably sophomore year. And because it was right before I discovered um, philosophy as like a school of thought and a school of an education um and this is going to be terrible to say but i remember looking at you and your curly hair and i said oh my goodness look at that bird nest of a hair and then i did make fun of your nose i did fuck off (laughs) (laughs) silently Silently. (laughs) no everyone made fun of my nose like (laughs) for my whole life but i didn't say nothing (laughs) that's true you at least kept it to yourself. But now I know that people are thinking it. <laughs> That's what I assume about, like, my lips. But, like, so you didn't even assume anything about me. You were just like, he has curly hair and a big-ass nose. Yeah, and I said... And then you answered a question on the first day, and I said, oh, no, 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 no. I don't, <laughs> I, I don't remember what it was. I don't think I, I would need to remember what it was. It was just, you answered a question on the first day. Legitimate lecture uh, question. Uh, so did you not like my answer, or just didn't like that I answered it? I uh, I think I just did not like that you answered it. Yeah, that sounds like you. Uh, okay. <laughs> no, I okay. I first time I met you. Well, first of all, I don't even think because I like to sit in the back of places. Mm-hmm. I just have an anxiety about people being behind me. Mm-hmm. So I know I was like close to a wall and I'm pretty sure I didn't have anyone behind me. No, I, I looked at you from the side. Yeah. So that, that makes sense. Cause I yeah. remember you being on my left, but on the other side of the class, mm-hmm. like closer to the door side. And I had I too like to be in the back by a wall or a window. Yeah. So we basically just chose opposite corners. Mm-hmm. And so I was like back right, I think, and you were back left. Oh my goodness. We were faded since day one. Yes. <laughs> oh my god. Yeah, now that I'm describing this, it actually sounds like this was meant to be. This is not a rom com. <laughs> we did not fall in love. <laughs> um but like I don't even think I noticed you the first couple of days. Oh, honestly. Okay. And then eventually somehow because I you know what it was? What? I looked over at you you must have dressed pretty just you know casual or something um or just not really distinct 
for the first couple of classes, but then look over at you. And I'm just like, honestly, my first thought is like, well, I'm not going to be their friend. That's a fuck boy. <laughs> <laughs> because you dressed like a fuck boy. I'm you had like a just wearing a beanie and a flannel. You were not wearing a beanie. You were wearing like a flat baseball cap. Um, I I remember it was blue and white, and I forgot what else you were wearing. But you just had fuckboy attire. You know, I really like that hat. I forgot what the title of it was. I lost it someplace. But you know what hat I'm talking about. Yeah, I know exactly what hat you're talking about. <laughs> it was a good hat. I think it was a Wilson hat. Um, yeah, I lost that hat. Fuck you. I just remembered about. <laughs> I just got reminded about my lovely hat. I yeah, lose so many hats and beanies throughout the years too. Yeah, because I you buy like dozens of them. I don't buy dozens. It's just that they. I buy them because they keep disappearing. So you buy dozens of them. <laughs> I don't buy. I I've only bought one baseball cap in my time here. Two floppy hats. In your time here, what does that mean? Like your time existing in in the West Coast, not not okay. existing. All right, just clarifying. Okay, fair enough. Yes, <laughs> in my time existing, I use such grandiose language when I talk about my life. Yeah, because you look like a philosophical fuckboy. I expect no one from... can see us. <laughs> All right, but for you three listeners out there, <laughs> Alan looks like a philosophical fuckboy. <laughs> uh, and and for the four listeners out there. And the one that won't admit that they're listening, Lucas looks exactly what you're thinking of when I said curly hair and big nose. Like, exactly to the T. You are right, what you're thinking. Does he have a mole? Yeah, you are exactly right in that assumption, whether he does or doesn't. Do I have a what? So, today's topic. Oh my god. <laughs> or, or our starting off point, uh, so to speak, um, is a topic that came into media pretty recently, Right? Um, honestly, I think relatively yes, but I think it's kind of been around for a while. Yeah, the the study, uh, so we're talking about maladaptive daydreaming, or that's what we kind of studied and, and did some research on going into our inaugural episode of maladaptive daydreaming. Um, we found the original study published on March 31st of this year, um, but maladaptive daydreaming, we're going to shorten it to MD. MD as a subject has been studied for quite some time now. Um, and the research that we read in itself cites prior research dating back to 17, 16, if not prior years to that, um, that do study cases of maladaptive daydreaming. The one thing I did notice about these studies were um, how small um, the bodies were. Yeah, I mean, like, this is pretty niche mm -hmm. for now. Um, mm -hmm. And like, and actually the, the studies had to, since they're so small, they actually had to make direct reference to media coverage of the condition because there, it, it sort of like blew up on social media with a lot of self-diagnoses. Um, but there actually hasn't been that much research on it to begin with. And second of all, people seem to misunderstand what maladaptive daydreaming even is. Mm -hmm. um, I will tell you my first reaction to this, like, because my first reaction to it was through social media. And 
it was some article that was just like, you might have maladaptive daydreaming. And my first reaction was just like, this is dumb, right? Like, it just, it seems like this is, first of all, cherry pick. But second of all, I didn't really take it seriously until I we just decided to do this podcast. And I was like, all right, I should probably actually do some research if I'm going to talk about anything. Um, and so once I did the research, I actually, it just gave me a new perspective. Um, I don't know. Did, I mean, what was your first reaction to like just hearing about it? I think it was similar to many of us where I thought, oh, what is this talking about? What do you mean? Like, this is a disorder. Like I, I've daydreamed so much of my life and a lot of times at night I daydream and, and you know, it's as I was going to bed and I would daydream about all sorts of things. And so I don't want to say or fall into a common vocabulary of where I felt like I was being misrepresented or, or, or misplaced in terms of this. And like, why are we making such a, not a big deal, but why is this being classified as a disorder? If so, if I daydream and every time I talked about, oh, I daydreamed about like, talking to whatever or this people says oh yes me too or, or people would relate and so I thought this was just saying if one daydreams they are counterproductive to society um, and that was my first and initial impression of it before doing the research that we did yeah and also I mean it might be important to just talk about that we both like to write yeah and so daydreaming for us is kind of essential Mm-hmm. and I kind of felt at first like what it was saying is that daydreaming as a whole is sort of oh, okay I didn't think it was just all daydreaming but I just thought that I mean any level of daydreaming is kind of just inherently unproductive right mm-hmm. so I thought that was sort of the commentary I thought that the way that this condition even arose was because of our I think just our idea is that like productivity is just in- inherently good and anything that goes against productivity is inherently bad. Yeah. So a lot of our attitudes, I think, are not conducive to the arts. And I remember our first conversation about this was saying like you and I rely on daydreaming to come up with scenarios and come up with, you know, these fantasy worlds to to ultimately write a story as we are doing and I don't want to say it was like an attack it just felt like is the approach that we're going at the wrong approach and if it is what are other creators doing in their respective fields to to create um yeah but then but then we read into it um, and found like a pretty like level-headed well-rounded study uh which was the study uh titled development and validation of maladaptive daydreaming scale Um, yeah and that went into saying uh that you know because we know studies don't use um, absolutist language or they stray away from it as much as they can, especially when they're talking about their own findings and their own intentions. They use, you know, 
um, the more suggestive vocabulary. Um, and they, they, they were suggesting that, you know, maladaptive daydreaming, and we'll get into what they classify maladaptive daydreaming, but maladaptive daydreaming um, is inherently or should be considered a different diagnosis than that of ADHD. And the difference between maladaptive daydreaming, MD, um, and what it was or could have likely been categorized as mental wandering or MW, which is a subset or a symptom of ADHD. And within MW, there's two sects to go to. One is active, one is passive. Um, and so it became this very trying to distinguish ADHD uh, with MD um, in relation to uh, maladaptive daydreaming with mental wandering. And the study itself even said, like, if the correlation, if, if the same percentage of people with ADHD that have maladaptive daydreaming or a similar percentage of people who have ADHD also have maladaptive learning and, and maladaptive learning people have ADHD, then they can say, well, they're kind of one in the same. The word they use was super, superfluous, that maladaptive daydreaming would be a super, superfluous thing to suggest if so many people that have either or are in the same category. Um, it would just become a subset of ADHD. And the study found an, an inverse relation where uh, about in one study that they quoted 77% of people um, had, no, it was 77% of maladaptive daydreamers were diagnosed with ADHD but only out of, again, a small number of people, of people with ADHD that this study vetted to see if they have uh, maladaptive daydreaming, only about 23% of the total people of ADHD would also be classified having uh, maladaptive daydreaming. And so yeah, and, yeah. And I think like, so, and I mean, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna get too much into it right now, but the other study uh, is a phenomenological study of the lived experience of maladaptive daydreaming. Um, basically, all that means is that it talks about the lived experience, right? Like phenomenology is about the subjective experience of everything. And like my understanding of that, I feel like we have to get into it a little bit at least, mm -hmm. but my understanding of phenomenology is just that everything... So like a lot of philosophy and even a lot of science, right? Try to figure out like what makes, you know, like a whale, what makes a whale a whale? Just try to classify the whale as if it's a something that human beings don't experience, right? Mm -hmm. And phenomenology turns out on its head, says that that whale is like a killer whale, right? Um, it's only black and white because we see it as black and white. And it's only big because we perceive it as being big, etc. Mm -hmm. So it kind of focuses on the lived experience of maladaptive daydreaming. Um, this, okay, I kind of going on a tangent, mm -hmm. but the point I wanted to make is that so I have ADD, right? Not ADHD. I know that some people will classify ADD as a subset of ADHD, but but anyway, it doesn't really matter too much for this. Point being 
people with, uh, there are also a lot of self-diagnoses of ADHD, right? Like even probably more so than MD because MD is not as well known. Um, and at least my experience, like my subjective experience of ADD and also the experience of a few others that I know that have ADHD or ADD is just that it's not that they can't focus. It's just that they're focused on everything all the time. So that doesn't, I think people think that ADD means can't pay attention or ADHD means you don't pay attention. And that makes a lot of sense how someone that doesn't pay attention would also daydream a lot. Right. Yeah. And that's just like, based on what I read and I think based on what we both read, that's just not the correct way to think about this. Yeah. And that is, that is, I would say, I agree. What the study is kind of suggesting is that the way we see the relation between maladaptive daydreaming and ADHD might not be right. Yeah, which kind of goes back to the, you know, social media kind of taking a very narrow snippet of these studies and yeah. people just kind of going to town with it. Like that happens a lot in terms of like bandwagon culture, people joining in on the craze. And like, you can even argue that we're doing it because we're making a podcast. And how many of our friends have at one point have said they're going to start a podcast? How many, you know? Yeah, but we're going to have dozens of viewers for listening. Dozens. <laughs> Two whole dozens. Yep. <laughs> once, we get our, once we get the 25th, that'd be someone not within our group. Yeah, I mean, it. well, then if we have like 36, still does. <laughs> <laughs> bold, bold move, Cotton. Um, but, okay, at least, I think there's a couple things we have to kind of dissect, though. Mm-hmm. Number one, what exactly maladaptive means because in people's heads, maladaptive means just bad, I think. Yeah. Um, and obviously, what constitutes daydreaming? Because there are, I mean, I think the first thing I'll talk about, and the studies actually touch on this, is that um, daydreaming, like, you can daydream about a lot of things. Mm-hmm. If you're going to a job interview, you probably are going to daydream about what that interview would look like kind of acted out in your head maybe even physically acted out like in your car on the way to the interview that kind of stuff Mm -hmm. um that's not daydreaming though as far as these studies are concerned because no one can say it's maladaptive daydreaming to kind of even obsessively daydream about this interview because you're trying to daydream about something productive ultimately right like that's kind of my understanding of it yeah i'd agree with that like having a dress rehearsal isn't one big daydream for the real show you know like it's there's there's levels of because it it does suggest to have like a, a spectrum of daydreaming and the more intense it gets the more 
detrimental it is for the one daydreaming. So I feel like an uh, an extensive version of daydreaming or I guess societally we consider that like game planning, like running the scenario in your head. And people do that throughout time and throughout the world. And yeah. so I think it even... it's suggesting the more intense, the more frequent and the more it affects your your livelihood to the point where it is combating for your attention with the real world or your real world has to fight for your attention so to speak that's when it becomes a the classification i guess we're trying to figure out of maladaptive daydreaming yeah and i think the key though is reality because if you are once again going to a job interview and you're dreaming or daydreaming about that job interview then that's connected to reality right mm -hmm. like so if but if i am daydreaming about like intensely daydreaming to the point where it negatively affects my life my reality that i live in about becoming an olympic gold medalist then that's maladaptive yeah because... i think we can even stick with the interview and analogy here because like obsessively you know daydreaming about how this interview is going to go while you're going there taking it and then seeing how it goes is you know sure has is inherent problems you don't want to do too much but it is there to help you it's not debilitating you but if you're daydreaming about having an interview and you're not applying for jobs because you're so busy daydreaming about said interview that's when it becomes maladaptive yeah exactly and i mean a lot of the people in the study and i'm talking about the phenomenological one because mm -hmm. what basically all that study does is it took i think there were six participants i mean it wasn't really that many yeah. and um they just tried to understand the lived experiences of people that suffer from this right so like here i am thinking that oh these people are just like frequent daydreamers right mm -hmm. and i was i mean i'm right but i'm also wrong because um they're not just frequent daydreamers they daydream about things specifically um that they're almost like a they're not a commentary on the reality but they are opposed to the reality so like here's an example there was one person that said no they have a, a family that's not close a family that um actually is quite dysfunctional according to them but they're maladaptive daydreams are like these intense daydreams about their family being perfect and here, i'm just gonna read a quote okay um my imagined perfect family is a lot different from my family in reality it's like actually having a family life of how i want it to be setting up this perfect little world inside my head over time it changed i am married i have like 11 children 12 grandkids i live a very comfortable life with my family we all go on holidays everything is just really good so, I mean, like this daydream happened over time. It has a plot to it. Mm -hmm. um, and ultimately, it's filling a, a void for this person. Yeah. And I was reading that, and it also talks about how someone is like setting up this fancy party for her friends, where in reality, she is um, cleaning sheets for a hotel. I think was another one of the examples there. Um, and so like reading those parts it kind of freaked me out 
because it it felt like it was a lot of what I do and not in terms of like a fantasy of my family and my head is better but it, just in terms of the core idea of a evolving plot line in my head um, and I've had daydreams and and this is the subtle but enough of a different topic of dreams of being in the same locations or coming back to same locations and dreams um, and having these like a catalog of daydreams that I could go into. And a lot of them ended up becoming stories or, or what I think I'm trying to do with this mental state. And I don't want to self-diagnose myself here or claim that, you know, and shit may be, but like I, I don't know if I should like give examples, you know, but I mean, is it, do you think it's, I mean, going to the word maladaptive though, mm-hmm. right? Meaning that it actually negatively affects your life. Would you say that's true? To some degree, I'd say, yeah. To some so degree. this is where I don't understand how they figure out who has it and who doesn't. Because how do they pick these six people? I know how... in the ADHD correlation study, there was, they had a threshold mark. And there is a threshold mark that like uh, other studies have their own rendition of it. But it was out of a 18 item scale. Um, or, or an 18 point scale, I think. Or 18 items on 11 point scale. And it asked... Um, what kind of daydreaming do you do? Do you daydream to begin with? Um, and it tries to vet if it is a distracted daydream where uh, where it then gets classified something akin to mental wandering. And then if it's this, uh, if it becomes compulsive, if it becomes um extravagant fantastical and there's a plot line like they're using the word a plot line like if there's an actual narrative in this daydream um or a series of daydreams that's when people start classifying it as maladaptive daydreaming as its own identifier yeah because usually that plot is i mean it seems to spring from the fact that the daydream is filling some kind of a void or something yeah so i mean I'm just thinking of, you know, when I daydream about my writing, that does have a plot too, but I guess you can probably argue it's not maladaptive because I'm, I mean, it's kind of for a purpose, you know? Yeah. And I'm not trying to fill, I, it's okay, forget for a purpose. I think that's actually wrong. Um, I'm not filling a void with it. I'm just, I'm doing it because it's, well, yeah, it's just not filling a void. I think the thing that really, makes it maladaptive is it fills a void mm-hmm. like they're usually somehow related to some void that needs to be filled and by the way fun fact apparently it's not linked to childhood trauma hmm. um yeah i think that's what i read it's not linked to childhood trauma so um 
you know, like at least it wasn't a, it's not a preceding factor. Like you don't yeah. need to have childhood trauma in order to have MD. But one of the, this, the voids, the topics of voids that, or, or, or points of voids that they have in the study was um, loneliness, depression, um, social um, partaking, um, academic and per like productivity, like work. Um, and in my head, I guess I'm still trying to get over the terms of like, does this need to fill all of these? Like, is this, is it pure escapism? Maladaptive day, daydreaming is it, or, or is maladaptive daydreaming? If I try to fill a void, any one of them, then it becomes maladaptive. Or does it? Oh, I see. Like you don't know if it has to be all or just one. Yeah, because it does fill voids. My daydreaming, because I do talk to myself as if I'm talking to someone. And this started. What void does that fill, though? Huh? Loneliness. Like what void does that fill if you talk as if you're talking to someone? Like a, I don't want to say romantic loneliness. Would I say that? I don't know. I know it stems from that though. Um, but it's this kind of pit of like, oh, I, I hate going back to the words of, I, I feel like I can't go to other people for problems. And, and when I have, because I do go to people for the problems that I have, um, but sometimes you just have like that deep inner psyche that you just can't overtly share with people or you, you just can't share with people, uh, but it's hard to just keep it in, in a sealed lid. So my coping mechanism is to have conversations with someone about what it is that I'm feeling or the problems that I have. And, and that's someone being an imaginary person? Um, yeah, it's based, sometimes it's imaginary, sometimes, or well, most of the times it's based off out of someone in the real world that we know. But I mean, but you're not actually talking to them? I am. Oh, Okay. Yeah. I thought you were saying you were daydreaming talking to them. I am daydreaming. In in the trance of that daydream, my lips are moving and I'm being vocal, but I'm very much daydreaming. Okay. So yeah, that's what I'm trying to figure out. Like mm-hmm. so you're talking to someone that's real but not actually in front of you. Yeah. But as if they were in front of me. Or usually next to me. They're usually on my right. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I think it's kind of it's weird that I think the fact that it makes you uncomfortable is probably an indicator that it's worth looking into. Mm-hmm. Um, I think, though, the the ultimate thing that these people seem to report is that it's a serious detriment to their lives. Like, I mean, one of them reported not even eating or going to the bathroom because that would interrupt the daydream. Yeah, see, that's an, I feel like, not worst case scenario, but we're getting, we're getting close. Yeah, like that's, I mean, that would be pretty bad. Yeah, Um, like you're immobile. You're just stuck in your head. Yeah, but it's also, apparently, like, it's also kind of a deliberate thing, too. Like, it's, it's not like they're so lost in it that they just forget. Uh They are conscious enough to realize what they're doing, but they just don't want the pleasure of the dream to stop Mm -hmm. you know like 
they want to maintain it as long as possible. Because um, apparent, okay, so here's the other thing. They actually need to induce these daydreams. So it's not like, like if I told you the daydream right now, you probably could, right? Yeah. Okay, so then that's just daydreaming. What they're experiencing is like they can't or they can't do it without doing either some kind of repetitive physical motion or they need music, like a certain kind of music to induce it. Mm-hmm. And so they, yeah. they actually deliberately choose to, I'm not saying, by the way, I'm not saying that like, oh, they choose to have this condition. That would be messed up. Yeah, I'm just saying that they actually have to make a conscious effort to induce the daydream. It's like, you know, putting them in a trance or something. Yeah, putting themselves in a trance. And that's where, I, I don't want to say that's where it lost me, but that's where it's like, okay, I think I'm safe. And that's where, or, or that would be why, like, I don't think it's bad. I don't think what I have is detrimental. It, like, fills voids, but for the people that use it as that pure escapism, and and to have this compulsive nature into or like repetitive behavior to induce the daydream and to kind of like activate it for them, I think is. Yeah, and what I are mean they escaping from you know. Yeah, I mean often they're escaping from their existence. Like they don't, they're not happy with some, you know, part of their existence. I mean, the one with the family wasn't a dysfunctional family so she daydreamed about uh i think she daydreamed about her family just being better you know um and ultimately having i mean it had a plot and everything Mm -hmm. they had kids i actually don't know if it was a she but for some reason i remember it being a she um but yeah i mean it ultimately feels something that they just think is missing Mm -hmm. and i'm not really sure what because i mean we all have things that are missing from our lives so i'm not really sure what makes that different um you know why is that should we touch up on touch on the word maladaptive probably because i think that's so Sorry, here's where people get... I think here's where the public gets lost on it. Yeah, It's with that word maladaptive. Mm-hmm. So did you want to kind of explain? I, you know, the, the definition, the baseline definition that we'll start off with of maladaptive is from, from Oxford, at least, not providing adequate or appropriate adjustment to the environment or situation. Um, so right from the get-go, it becomes a relativistic term in terms of, and it goes back into a topic you started talking about a bit before, about the standard of society. And if you're not inputting for the production of society, you're a detriment to it. Um, and yeah. it makes this big picture problem very individualistic with daydreaming. And I think what we're trying to question here with the the usage of the word maladaptive in 
the diagnoses or the potential diagnoses of maladaptive daydreaming is, is it really detrimental? Is it really maladaptive? Um, for so here's the, to, here's where I'm coming from. Yeah. Oh, did you want to say one other thing before? I... Yeah, I'll just finish real quickly. Like, in, in some extreme cases, yes, I think that should be classified as maladaptive daydreaming. But for the example of uh, that woman with a family or, or perhaps people who use it as escapism, but isn't, but not to the extent of not wanting to eat or go to the bathroom to, to break that daydream streak. So, you know, there, there is a spectrum from one to the other there. Um, but like, is maladaptive the right word for the entire spectrum? Yeah, and I think so. These studies were very clear that maladaptive daydreaming refers to a specific kind of daydreaming that is actually bad for your existence, mm-hmm. right? And they have to do that because, I mean, these are the people that came to them are people that actually suffer because of their daydreaming. Yeah. Um, and I mean, like, for example, I don't think anyone would question whether or not refusing to go to the bathroom or eat food because of daydreaming is maladaptive, right? Mm -hmm. That's clearly maladaptive. Um, But I wanted to actually talk about what society sees as maladaptive versus what these studies see as maladaptive. Because once again, the studies were crystal clear about maladaptive daydreaming being a really specific thing, right? Like not everybody who daydreams is doing so in a maladaptive way. Um, they also distinguished, you know, like they distinguished maladaptive daydreaming from ADHD and other conditions, um, because people, I mean, especially now, I think we're, the pendulum has swung in the direction of mental health being just people are very open about it. Mm -hmm. Um, but also I've noticed people not only are open about it, but self-diagnose the hell out of themselves, um, that's, I feel like saying self-diagnose yourself is wrong, but I don't know how else to say it. <laughs> Whatever. They they self-diagnose like crazy. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's one problem because the amount of pings that this term has, I would be willing to guess is disproportionate to the amount of people who actually suffer from it. Yeah. Um, but the other thing though, is this just goes back to ideology. So what we consider maladaptive daydreaming, and I, I'm not talking about the studies now, I'm talking about like the average person, right? Mm -hmm. Here's actually what I think is causing this to have so much more attention than it. I don't want to say more than it deserves, but it has like an unwarranted amount of attention, right? Mm -hmm. Um, the thing I actually think is causing it is ideology and ideology you know just i'm just talking about like the core beliefs of people and so i mean we both live in the united states um this country is pretty heavily capitalist um we value productivity um and individuals might not always value productivity but as a whole i think that people value productivity and even people that are kind of fighting against the whole mentality that everything has to have a purpose and everything has to be productive. And, you know, even, you know, everything has to be a hustle, your weekends, if you're using your weekends for leisure, then you're not really bettering yourself, you know, that kind of mentality. 
whether you would like to or not, I think that mentality is impossible to escape in this country. Whether you yourself, because I don't have that mentality, right? Mm -hmm. um, but I think that even me, I will find myself once in a while kind of thinking that I have to be productive in order to feel fulfilled. And that's not actually true. Um, yeah. So I consciously, it's actually a conscious choice to not think that. Mm -hmm. But so anyway, what I actually think is happening is that the disorder of MD is this very specific thing where you have these daydreams that one, you have to literally induce and two are a detriment to your existence. Okay. Then the study gets out, goes to more mainstream media sources. Um, even, and by the way, even the mainstream media sources, the ones that I found were pretty good, I would say. Like they didn't do an injustice to the disorder. They weren't as thorough as a study, but mm -hmm. that's to be expected. Um, but it gets to these, you know, media sources and then people read them. And I think they look at the word maladaptive and I really think what's happening in their heads is they see maladaptive and they think unproductive because of our ideology as a country. Mm. So what they do is they're like, I daydream. And when I daydream, it's not productive. So I have MD. This is my TED talk. Thank you very much. For... <laughs> I mean, I know I'm just conjecturing here, but honestly, what do you think about that theory? Of how it's become overblown? No, I mean, or yes. How the how warped this study has become. Like, yeah, I guess how warped it's become. Like, I'm just saying that I really think the misunderstanding of MD really stems from people's ideology that things that are unproductive are inherently maladaptive. Like mm -hmm. things that are unproductive are negative, therefore they're maladaptive. So that means if you daydream a lot, like let's say you just, I mean, I used to work at Target folding clothes. Mm -hmm. I would daydream all the time. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So, you know, someone like me working at Target might be like, oh, I'm daydreaming, uh, you know, in a, I, I'm basically just daydreaming a lot and that's mm -hmm. not connected to my job or my reality in any way. So therefore it's bad. Yeah. I think I can get behind that. I'm really, I just, especially if we measure things, you know, pro productivity wise, what you can output as an individual should be more than you, you're taking in. And so it's this constant hustle. And for something like this to come out and say, hi, there might be a rare form of what we all do and which is different than ADHD, but can be just as, if not is just as, or more so destructive than ADHD. And it's been kind of swept under the rug. And media, mainstream, at least said, okay, we'll say there's a not so likely chance that the kind of daydreaming you're doing is not ADHD and is its own uh, subset and its own condition. 
And social media took that and said, if you daydream, you might have a problem. And that was intriguing enough. The wording was warped and twisted enough without respect to the original source to the point where people said, do you daydream? You're unproductive. Don't daydream. And so it became this weird, very quick game of maybe not so much telephone, but like kind of like telephone. And now we're seeing, but I feel like we see this a good amount of times when something comes up, people think it relates to all of us. It turns out it's very niche and hyper-specific field. Yeah, I mean, I think there's, there's always an element of projection. Mm-hmm. I mean, honestly, I think it's two things happening. I think one, there's the element of projection, actually three things. Projection, um, people today seem to, I think, see themselves as a Mr. Potato Head of mental <laughs> disorders, <laughs> you know, where they're just like, I got that, I got ADHD, I've got mm-hmm. MD now, I've got, you know, this other thing. And a lot of people actually do have, I'm not saying that they don't. Yeah. But a lot of it's self-diagnosed, and that's kind of a problem um, when people just diagnose themselves and they don't really maybe have it, or at least they don't understand exactly what... Any mental self-diagnosing or diagnosis becomes like mutt because there's already a bias going into it. So like no matter they, what, you're not going to get a clear-cut answer for yourself. Yeah. So, I mean, and then that's why we have people with actual licenses to do those these diagnoses. Mm-hmm. Um, but, I mean, yeah, there's... So, yeah, there's projection. There's, like, people being very okay with having a mental disorder. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, I think back in the day, people would have kind of shirked away when they heard anything like this, right? They would have been like, oh, that's not me, right? But today I think people are more accepting of it. And the third thing, I really just think it comes back to, you know, the social media posts that sounded more like, hey, if you daydream, and I'm not saying that posts even did this, it could have just been people that talked to each other, but just the idea of, hey, if you daydream, then that might actually be bad. And I don't think it was ever that reductive, honestly, but I just think that this like already taps into our anxieties about being unproductive. Like I think the, the person that lives in the United States, no matter who you are, you're going to feel like, I mean, you're, you're thrust into a society where whether you feel this or you don't feel this you're valued based on how productive you are yeah so it just i think it just tapped into that anxiety where people are just like you know because i like i own the fact that i i daydream because i have to daydream how else am i going to write but even my writing is unproductive right because i don't actually haven't published anything yet um yep. and yep <laughs> so actually no i whatever i one thing but um but nothing like big right 
Yeah, like when so, it comes to like the our legitimate writing career, yeah, I, I got. I, I, yeah. It's a paltry amount. <laughs> yes. <laughs> like during the a... school career, during the academic academia times, uh, I was there's things out there, but. Sorry. But yeah, nothing. Basically, we're not making money off of it yet. Yeah, so it's deemed unproductive, and so it does tap into that insecurity or that that inner psyche of, am I doing like am i wasting myself here am i wasting resources here and md i think touches on that too and you know i guess to put i don't know there's no good way to go into this so like i this week i got a rejection email from the um one of the magazines that I submitted the short story for, the longer one. Um, this is the one I read? The one that you read. No. Um, not The Chosen Few, um, but a predecessor. And But Chosen Few also got denied last week. And so I know at this age, you know, I know at this point in time, the likelihood is low of being accepted. But it adds to it that, and, you know, getting advice from established authors does help especially when those established authors says expect failure and rejection of course you expect failure and rejection but it doesn't mean it doesn't take a hit on that on on the the self on on the confidence and makes you do does make you question like am i any good at this maybe i am a shit writer and then to read an article that says there's a chance that um there's not a chance there's a specific kind of daydreaming that is so maladaptive that is that is so detrimental that it ought to be classified as something new and here's the details about it here's a study that is referencing it and reading that you're you know you go into it thinking like okay well i just got rejected twice i feel like i'm not producing anything worthy enough and then you hear something that says if you think too much you know to the point where it's detrimental it, it could be this. And I'm like, well, it kind of is detrimental what I'm doing right now. So it becomes this, it adds on to the insecurity. You're absolutely right. And it adds on to this um, very trigger, quick trigger finger, uh, emotional or, or mental switch. And I think a lot of us relative useful Americans of, of anxiety and, and our self-worth societally, financially, and, and just general self-wise. And, it, it's the the current ebb and flow of, of negative press that's being or, or negative things that is being put out to make us and I'm not trying to say that this is there is like like depression propaganda you know um, no there's depression propaganda <laughs> <laughs> and because it, it is putting light into something that has been swept under the rug or or that not so on the rug per se, but that's something that just hasn't been focused on as much as it ought to have. Um, and when these genuinely well-intended studies and, and research comes out, all the rest of the world that it does not apply to does this very weird thing that each individual mind does very well in pattern recognition and saying, how do I relate this to myself? Uh, and it goes into bandwagon culture. And it's, it's why I have a very hard time um, posting in general. Um, like on social media? Yeah, on social media. Because there's become this underlying unspoken 
social contract now, like a social media contract. Um, you know, if, if, if that's played, by the way, you signed that once you accept the terms and you know terms yeah. and conditions. Fuck <laughs> you. <laughs> but it is like the social media contract where if you are not if if one is posting on a regular basis or if one is interacting with social media on a regular basis then one is pseudo expected to quasi expected to if not just expected to to post in support of certain societal outcomes of certain global events and to show under the guise of an umbrella of support and solidarity i'm using air quotes here i realize you know you can't see me no i can see um, look behind you (laughs) (laughs) i'm already here and we i don't want to say we but people are now expected in this social media contract to partake to some degree whether it is a filter, whether it is uh, changing your one's profile picture, whether it is making a post or, or, or doing something, some action um, that is inherent, that is just virtual, just virtual. Um, you know, sending thoughts and prayers is another one. Um, having, and I'm not trying to argue that don't do that, it's dumb, don't do that, you're a loser if you do. Because they, these are all genuinely intended, but there is this not that deep down obligation to do it. Yeah, because like if you don't do it, then you are opposed to whatever the movement is. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah, I have the same discomfort. I don't really post anything on social media, period. So I don't really, I do think there's like a, if you're very active, there's more of the expectation on you. Yes. Like, I don't think people are looking at my inactive account and being like, oh, he didn't, you know, it's like, okay, I, he doesn't post anything anyways. So um, I don't think that's there for me. But I mean, just the performative aspect of it, I don't really like. Um, I think that at least for me, if I were to do that, mm-hmm. it's really easy to feel good about yourself, yeah. you know, for like, changing your profile picture to black lives matter mm-hmm. or something um like after george floyd was murdered for example yeah um but it's a totally different thing to actually do something about it right yeah. and so i actually physically stop myself from the urge to because it, it just seems like i'm stroking my ego you know i'm not saying other people are doing it it's just for me or I guess here's what I am saying. I do think other people are doing it. I'm not saying every other person is doing it, mm-hmm. but I know for a fact that there are people that do that as a way to like preserve their ego. Yeah. Which I just honestly would rather have my ego take a hit, you know, <laughs> like mm-hmm. let it take the hit. Um, if all I can do is just post about it, then I'm not really interested. I'd rather find something else I could do. That being said, I do get that the, you know, giving something more popularity is sometimes doing something for a cause. Yeah. Like I'm and, not saying that doesn't exist. People hop in their own ways. People protest in their own ways. There is no one right way to protest. Um, and I agree with you in the sense that, like, it feels, I can't comment on anyone else, 
but it feels disingenuous if I just post something because someone was wrongfully murdered or our rights are being taken away as it is as we speak posting it in in a very small bubble of people that I know who are like-minded I don't think is the most productive way and so what I've done and how I channeled my protest was in publishing was in sending out was in writing was in commentary on that and that was where a lot of my mind headspace was kind of filled when it came to um, the big events and the big societal shifts. And there were times where you just have to physically go and get up. Like the George Floyd protests in New York city I stood up and I went like my friends and I went. And so like, but like anything that put is posted on social media, uh, and its purity just stays in social media. We know that it, things that happen in social media do leak into the real world, and there are real consequences to what people put up uh, and distribute on the social media and in the internet proper as, as well. Um, but when it comes to things so big in nature that, that does affect proportions of society, I don't think social media and raising awareness amongst an in-group, like an almost borderline echo chamber, depending on how, you know, people curate, I guess, their friends list. Um, Is that going to do the intended effect? Um, I can see this argument not working so much on once we get to the levels of hundreds of thousands of millions of followers that, that where people are looking up to you, for guidance for um, for whatever it is that they're looking up to you for. And in those senses, I think because they have such a mass following and a mass reach where their hands can have some effect, those are when social media posts like that, that show support or that shows uh, dissent towards the wrong is important and, and is truly at its intended effect because it it doesn't have no effect um but it can't be treated as the go-to or my argument is it shouldn't be treated as the go-to method yeah i mean for me it's it's just not enough yeah if you do that with a bunch of other things too, then, you know, that's, Mm -hmm. then that makes sense. I mean, then you're just like trying to tackle an issue from all angles. That makes total sense, you know? Um, But even if you have a lot of clout, like just posting something to me, that just kind of rubs me the wrong way. I just think it's kind of performative. I mean, because then you know your words will have Mm -hmm. consequences, but you don't have to be on the front lines. Yeah. And now my concern with what we're talking about is you know is an argument against us where someone can say like so like well one i don't think we're trying to suggest like shut up um you can't say anything but you know some people do have or i think a lot of people have in their friend list people that um they just know from school and they don't see in line with or just people in a lot of people in general 
that are just not in their in-group or that is not just an echo chamber in which they feel like they need to get the word out within their own world, within their own circles that they, they reach. And they, they need their voices to be heard. And I don't think it's wrong. I don't think it's purely productive either, but I also don't know why there is this silent judgment and this silent obligation for so many others to kind of do the same. And I guess like if, if one's not going to put original point, why? But uh, I don't know if I'm a, I don't think I'm a good authority to critique so much of this. I mean, maybe, maybe not. I honestly don't know. I do think a lot of the silent judgment could be perceived. Mm-hmm. I mean, because like, has any? I mean, how do you know there's silent judgment? How do I know there's silent judgment? Like, if I like didn't post like a something in solidarity. Yeah. I guess it would be silent. I I would have been told, and as I have, because people do question it and though i can't personally say i've experienced a public shaman i'm sure it happens like have they well i mean so they do publicly shame and this goes to like clout right Uh they do publicly shame institutions and public figures for not making those you know solidarity posts yeah but i know that i have never been personally but again, this goes back to I'm not active on social media, so I don't think anyone's really like, you know, how could he not? Yeah, if they're not expecting one to post often, they're not going to expect one to post when something does happen. Yeah. And, like, and honestly, you yeah. know, okay, so for me, I will say that I do think that personally, since I am not very active on social media, you know, that's, I think, the thing that got me off my ass mm-hmm. when George Floyd was killed. And, I mean, just for some context, when he was killed, I lived in in Minneapolis. Yeah. Um, and I happened to be living with my in-laws at the time because um, it was just a better living situation. This is when COVID was still highly contagious, no vaccine, and we figured just living in the same place as my in-laws would let us kind of help each other a lot better than if we just lived separately. Um, but, you know, I saw the the news that George Floyd was killed and I saw how, how much it was hurting my home. And I'm like, dude, I'm not posting on social media right now, mm-hmm. right? Like, this is bullshit. Like, it actually made me feel sick. Mm-hmm. Like, the fact that I couldn't be there. Like, I felt like a fraud because I was, I think I was still up there for, like, a week, you know, after this happened. And eventually, yeah. like, just felt so sick. I had to go down and and protest, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and I really think that that's because I, part of it, at least, is because I don't allow myself to have the handicap of social media. Like, I don't you know, I don't post something and feel good about it. 
I'm not saying that's other people. I'm just saying for me, right? I didn't even have the euphoria of, I don't even know if it's euphoria, whatever. I didn't have the catharsis of like posting something on social media and then, you know, now everyone knows what I think. So I'm, I'm good. Like, no, mm-hmm. I already mm-hmm. am not active on social media. I saw it was going down. It made me feel like a fraud to not be down there right now yeah and protest which by the way the first protest i I went to um do you remember the the truck that tried to kill a bunch of protesters yes i was about well i was walking there with my wife Mm -hmm. i'll just call her a for now um maybe she'll be okay with disclosing her name later but i was walking there with a and I was so I was walking to I thirty five, which is where the the truck, you know, and and where we are like, why are the police stopping people from getting on the on the freeway? Right, like this mm-hmm. is ridiculous, and we're wondering why there's this big push to get people away from there. We were about sixty seconds from where the truck tried to plow through those people. So, I mean, literally like a minute from that. And I don't think anyone but the driver was hurt because they they beat his ass. (laughs) But still. That's that's what's supposed to happen, I think, is is that call to action and and the rise to action. And... We're talking about beating the driver's ass, or no, 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 no. When okay. it comes to getting our asses up, and and why do people just post things and not do things? And yeah, like how do you just sit there? Yeah, right. How do you just sit there? How how can one say? And this is probably gonna have to be a topic for another time, another day, another life. But like Beyonce, a little bit. Um. <laughs> But like, you know, it goes into the topic about when people say, oh, I don't, I don't follow politics. Oh, I don't, I'm not into it. It's too complicated. Um, and, and stuff like that, I think is one very concerning um, to not be involved in how our day-to-day functions are working. But only because i don't know do people see it as like the minimum requirement i've done the minimum requirement i don't think they're seeing it as like a task at hand to do and i don't know if people are genuinely thinking that's enough like that's all i need to do like it's somewhere in between that right where they're doing this from a good for a good cause from a good place of their heart um but i there we are denying or or we are not recognizing that a part of us doing the posting of, of solidarities and, and the or the reposts is this feeling of uh, an obligation. And so I guess like silent judgment isn't the best term for me to use. It's it's more so silent obligation that the social media contract that everyone has kind of signed um, by regularly partaking in it. And I think it all goes down to um, 
this false I, I think we can argue somewhere along the lines that there is this for some underlying nature of wanting to become famous and being able to be Instagram famous or, or uh, an influencer or TikTok famous or, or whatever the word associated for TikTok is. Um, you don't have a TikTok either, right? Nope. Yeah, okay. I don't need more distracting stuff in my life. So <laughs> I don't know what... <laughs> we are very weird for our age that I know, but like there when people become famous and, and especially now when people of fame are under a pretty tight lens, a pretty scrutin like with scrutin scrutinizing ready lens. Um there might be some people who think I have to do all this in the off chance that I become famous and if someone looks back at my history they'll know that I've been supporting all this and people will know that I'm all this and then in the vein of trying to gain followers and gain clout they they try to do and mimic what others or, or more famous people are doing in terms of the things that they support and the things that they are encouraging or, or or disgruntled from and so I guess it goes down to bandwagon culture where they're just trying to follow the tide in, in the hopes that it adds to their credentials to become a social media magnet of some sort, um, whether it is an influencer or, or whatever else it is. Um, again, I'm not saying, or no one here is suggesting that this is universal, that this is the only reason. Um, and the people that do do it on a regular basis who are trying to start a discussion or trying to start a discussion. I think it's a, not a good, maybe not the most healthy place to have a discussion or the most uh, accessible, not accessible. I just don't think it's a good environment to start a discussion. It is not. I look, the discussions I've had on social media, albeit, I mean, they were sort of me reacting to people being, bigots so i understand why they weren't good mm-hmm. that's basically that's like the only thing i ever post like <laughs> yeah if someone's being an asshole then i'll i'll be like oh, okay now now i gotta actually say something um but no and okay i am not trying to open up this can of worms right now this might be another another day mm-hmm. but i think the personality that you have on social media like the social media presence you have mm-hmm as you become bigger, you end up having like your personality almost becomes your business, right? Yeah. Who you are is your business model or it's not your business model, but it's, I mean, that is you, your personality ends up being the product. Mm-hmm. And so when something like, just cause we've been talking about it, right. When something like George Floyd happens, people want to know how they're, what's happening with their damn product. You know, I've been following you for the past two years and now George Floyd was murdered. I want to know what happened to my product, right? Like, are you in support of this? Like, are you are you saying that um, this was justified? Are you saying that this was, um, you know, not justified at all? Are you staying mm-hmm. silent, which to me indicates that you do kind of think it's justified or you're afraid to say what you really think, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I just think the whole context of social media personalities ends up being i mean like people have to make decisions literally to maintain their 
they're standing with their audience. And sometimes, I mean, a lot of the times people realize they have two conflicting audiences mm -hmm. and they got to pick one, you know, when, when something comes up like that. Yeah. I don't think something like, I don't know off the top of my head, anyone that, you know, might've had two conflicting audiences in that case. I mean, I guess, well, the thing is that was such a big case that even someone whose entire thing was just like how to do makeup or something was almost obligated to say something. Yeah. So I guess they, and by the way, nothing wrong with having your thing be makeup. I'm just saying that like, it's so unrelated to politics, <laughs> you know, yeah, the, even something like that was called upon to have some kind of response. Yeah. So, I mean, I can see how in that case they go, oh shit, I have to say something. Mm -hmm. And I've got people that are totally, you know, for this and against this. Mm -hmm. And now I have to say something. And honestly, you know, I know there are plenty of people out there that were like, you know what, I'm going to say what's right, no matter what. Mm -hmm. But I'm sure there are also people out there that, I mean, are just like, you know, I'm going to maybe say something that doesn't totally bankrupt me. Yeah. Yeah. And do you think that pressure that, like, the the hive mind or the hive of social media places on the big players, that's what is being now self-directed. And that's where that silent judgment, that now silent self-judgment is of, of that self-perception of I now have to post in support of this because this person is done and, and even though that it's not the the conversation that person is having with having with themselves it is a line a nudge of thought um that they are walking through or walking over to to post this without having to come to a conclusion or a resounding self-conversation of I'm just doing this because I'm trying to join the bandwagon or saying I'm here too um yeah I, mean, I think it becomes very difficult at a certain point to differentiate you from the virtual you yeah so i mean so much so that i i honestly think that the virtual version of yourself might influence the real version of yourself whatever real even means this yeah. might have to be next week <laughs> No, wait. Surprise. Think, wait, no, I think I have something here. I think we have something <laughs> here. Because like, if one's virtual self, the one that is being um, projected for the world to see on social media, if that becomes overpowering, so to speak, if that, if that now becomes who you are in the eyes of so many people, and that is essentially now you, you who you you are to yourself who you thought was reality was a real you is not the real you is not the re you that people will come to recognize if they happen to meet you um and you become involved in this false narrative of you does this false narrative of you take control of the real you in terms of dictating how you interact with fans how you interact with the world around you some people could get caught up in that and now their real personalities is based off of their virtual personalities. 
I think so. I mean, I, I honestly think it's hard to like differentiate those two at a certain point. And if the thing that kind of forces you to act more is your virtual self, then, you know, you're kind of in this thought process of like, well, what would my brand say? You know, like, mm-hmm. what is my brand, your brand being like your virtual yeah. self? Um, like, what does my brand need to say to survive? Um, it's almost like you're just sort of, uh, in a second person, you know, choose your own adventure novel where like, you just, it's like, you were confronted with the situation, right? Mm -hmm. Like now you got to pick a side, you make your choice. That's the character that you're playing. Yeah. And I do think it influences the perception of yourself. And I'm saying this obviously as someone who doesn't have experience of it, Mm -hmm. but well, okay, no, I do have a little bit of experience with it. I think I have enough experience with it where it made me uncomfortable and I stopped. Let's put it that way. Yeah. Um, I do not like there being a divide or like any dissonance between who I am and who I am on social media. And I just feel like the context of social media just inherently kind of Required. causes that for me. Yeah. Um, where like I feel like I have to like perform hmm I just don't like it. Um, so, but, I mean, I could go on about this for another hour, and maybe we should do that do next think, time. Yeah, I agree. Um, actually, I'll with this, though. Can we not argue that if someone's virtual self becomes so overpowering that it adversely affects the real you to the point where people will not recognize the real you. And all you have is this virtual self. Is that not like one step away from maladaptive daydreaming? Oh my God. (laughs) Shut up. (laughs) I was like, where are you going with this? I'm just like, ready for you i don't think so (laughs) no i okay in all seriousness no because i think that maladaptive daydreaming has to do with filling a void of your reality so i mean that sort of becomes your reality even though it's virtual I think it's a different phenomenon altogether. Uh, yeah, I yeah, think... yeah the, the reason why. That's like <laughs> one step one step away. Yeah, one big fucking step away. <laughs> that's a big step. Um, it is a big step, but I just think maybe that's why we started talking about social media shit. No, I think we're just distracted propaganda. No. Oh um, <laughs> that was worse than mine. You know what? That was worse than mine. I was just going to say distracted, but then I remembered our podcast name. Um, You forgot? No, I didn't forget. You forgot. I said the word distracted, and the next word. It's episode. All right, that concludes episode one of Distracted Propaganda. Thanks to those of you who listened. um, And to those of you who listened, just so you know, this has been a red herring of an episode. Distracted Propaganda is actually an alpha male podcast. So next <laughs> week we're talking about women and what they owe us. <laughs> oh my God. 
just <laughs> we we would be like the worst alpha male podcast we wouldn't even all right if people if people saw us <laughs> yeah there's there would be like no no way uh <laughs> actually i mean maybe no, like no a, no we'd be we'd incels immediately immediately yeah. but that's who alpha males are. okay never mind <laughs> that's what they are to, in my mind they're like a bunch of incels but whatever maybe just with some more muscles and facial hair but um point being this is not an alpha male podcast <laughs> if that excited you then you might want to find a different podcast this is not the one for you i'm sorry <laughs> we are um, just listening to this whole thing just do wait bobby just do wait yeah. i'm telling you this happened episode seven they're like I, they're gonna start talking about like women finally <laughs> <laughs> So, no, um, this is not an alpha male podcast. This is just distracted propaganda where we talk about um, tangential things. We start with a subject and then we just see where it goes. Honestly, I feel like we stay on topic way more than we normally do. Oh, yeah, absolutely. We were like 50 <laughs> minutes in and we're still talking about MD and no change. Yeah, I started, that's... To, get I started to get a bit uncomfortable. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, why are we still talking about this? We should have changed five times. Maybe it's because we're new I think so. I, it's definitely first episode jitters. Yeah, so just expect it to get worse here and out. Mm-hmm. Um, if it ever gets bad enough where we do become an alpha male podcast, you need to put us down. Um, <laughs> like Please tell us. Yeah, tell us. Um, report. Do whatever you have to do. Find <laughs> us at our homes. Um, like, I'll come home and you'll be on a leather chair that I don't actually have because I don't have dogs. Can't have leather chairs with these two. Um but you'll just be sitting down like, all right, it's time. Anyways. <laughs> all right, yeah. Anyways, um, thanks for listening. Um, next week, we are going to talk about Simulacra. Mm-hmm. My name's Lucas. And I'm Alan. This has been Distracted Propaganda. We'll see you next time. Bye-bye.